Welcome, listener, to Sustainable, your friendly little environment podcast about why everything going on with the planet is confusing. Normally, I have a guy called Ol here to do all the work, but he's not well, bless him. So I, Dave, am going to push on without him. This is all very exciting, isn't it? I get to do a podcast by myself. And what that means, I can get rid of all the silly flim-flam stuff we were going to talk about, and instead I'm going to talk to a guest. Now, you may have noticed at the end of last week that something rather exciting happened over in America. We've been talking about it for a while. The Battle for Keystone, which is a big hosepipe, as I'll described a few episodes ago. A hosepipe that would have carried a galumphin great amount of oil from the north to the south. And President of the Free World and all-round manhunk Barack Obama said, no, uh-uh, no way. And at the end of last week, he formally kiboshed it and what i thought we should do is rather than sitting around by myself telling you how exciting it is let's talk to an american so joining me now by the power of skype from san francisco which is in america is a chap called david turnbull and david is campaigns director of a thing called oil change international in the us of a and oil change international are one of the leading groups banging on about why this whole keystone hosepipe is a very good thing to have kiboshed so i'm going to ask him about that i'm going to ask him about barack obama and whether or not he's the total legend that it looks like he is to me and all we're going to ask him about scary cat hair Donald Trump and about whether or not America really is likely to stop thinking climate change is a conspiracy scent to drive us all into communism. So, uh, David, thank you so much for joining me on Sustainer Babble. Um, how's things over there? Uh, it's great. It's a beautiful day. We're still uh, basking in the glory of a big win on the Keystone Pipeline yesterday. Yeah, Keystone. Well, before I was going to ask you all about Keystone, which my co-host Ol once described as a very important hosepipe. Um, <laughs> but before I ask you about that, um, who are you, just for our listeners, and um, what's your interest in, in Keystone? Yeah, sure. Um, my name's David Turnbull, and I am campaigns director for a group called Oil Change International. Uh, I've been working on climate change advocacy work for about 10 years now, uh, ranging from the international climate negotiations through the UN and then for the last few years on uh, fighting the oil industry here in the United States in particular. Uh, my group, Oil Change International, that I work with uh, is a group that's focused on exposing the true costs of fossil fuels, uh, be they climate costs or environmental hazards or cost to society. And we're really trying to expose those costs and break down the barriers to a climate safe future uh, by by really trying to advocate uh, for good things and and in particular against bad things. And one of those bad things was uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, which 
we did a whole lot of work on over the past, oh, you know, maybe seven years at this point uh, to really expose just how bad that pipeline was going to be uh, if it was ever built. So, so tell us a, a bit about it. So um, as far as we know over here in, in the UK, what you get is this great big fight. It sounded like a massive, massive fight where this pipeline, which was, what was it? It was about getting oil, right? From the, from Canada down to That's down right. the south. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was uh, proposed by a, a group called, a company called TransCanada. And it was going to bring uh, so-called tar sands, or the industry likes to call it oil sands because tar sands sounds bad, but it's really tar sands, uh, from Alberta, Canada, through basically the heartland of the United States, through Montana, Nebraska, uh, states like that that are really you know in the center of the country uh, in order to get it to the Gulf of Mexico coastline in Texas so it could be refined uh, by refineries there. And as our analysis shows, uh, actually exported uh, to countries around the world. A couple things about tar sands. Tar sands is one of the dirtiest fuels in the world. Uh, you don't actually uh, stick a you know a drill down into the earth and it comes bubbling out. This is essentially almost solid material that they have to mine, uh, you know, with some of the biggest machines on earth in order to extract it from the ground. And then they have to process that in, in an incredibly energy intensive way in order to actually even get it into a state that it can transfer through pipes, like what the Keystone pipeline would have been. So it was, it was basically a pipeline that was going to cut through the center of the country, uh, to transport some of the dirtiest oil in the world, uh, to our coast and then ship it abroad. Forgive my ignorance on this. Why did it need to be transported in the first place? Why, why wasn't it just, why couldn't you just ship it out of Canada? So what was the, what was the rationale? Yeah, sure. So Alberta is, of course, uh, sort of in the center of, of uh, you know, it's, it's landlocked. And uh, in order to get this oil uh, to the coast where a lot of the refineries are, um, you know, the Texas Gulf Coast is essentially the biggest refinery area in the world and has refineries that had been designed to, to process uh, this type of oil. Um, so it, it, the tar sands desperately needs pipelines out of Alberta and, and to the United States in order to get to the market. Uh, and we've actually done some some analysis that shows that without pipelines like the Keystone XL pipeline and other major pipelines that are still being proposed by the industry, um, you know, they're struggling to find ways to get their product to the market and to refineries uh, so it can be uh, refined into you know a usable product. So you know they are desperate for uh, pipelines like the Keystone XL pipeline. That's pretty crazy. So, uh, so it's not going to happen now, then, right? That's Is right. That right? That's Is it right. definitely, definitely, forever, absolutely, under no circumstances, ever not going to happen? And if that's right, how come? That sounds amazing. Uh, you know, you can't say you can't say never ever, uh, because who knows what would happen under a Republican president in the future. But our take well, is that I'm going to ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> our take is our take is that yes, the Keystone XL pipeline pipeline as we know it is dead. It absolutely is dead. Yesterday, the president announced its its death. Uh, and that is one of the biggest wins for the environmental movement ever, uh, in our view. In consultation with other cabinet agencies, the State Department has decided that the Keystone XL pipeline would not serve the national interests of the United States. 
I agree with that decision. This morning, I also had the opportunity to find that energy analysts and people who are paid to know these things said it was inevitable that it would be built uh, only a couple years ago. And an amazing movement of activists uh, from across the, the country uh, and in Canada as well stood up and said, no, this is way too dangerous. It's way too dirty. It is going in actual, absolutely the wrong direction when it comes to climate change. And we're not going to stand for it. And uh, yesterday the president heard us and he announced that because of its potential impact on the climate in particular, he was going to reject the pipeline. And, uh, you know, we all took a big breath, uh, kind of yeah. thought back on years and years of fighting and then uh, shouted with glee. I, I, I can definitely say that. And, and certainly some tears were shed as well. So you just are you profoundly drunk now? Have you just been basically <laughs> in the bar since that happened? Like, you sound very good for someone who must oh, be well, completely yeah. off their face. No, it was it was pretty amazing yesterday. You know, I I was sitting at my desk and and my my phone was buzzing, my computer was beeping at me. Everything, you know, everyone that I could possibly know was was jumping up and down and and trying to get in touch with everyone else, and we're trying to send out our press release and our email to all of the supporters that have been so vital to the fight and and all this stuff. And, you know, we'd been preparing for this day for so long, but when it comes, you're just sort of, a, your, your mind is just going crazy. You know, how all, all of a sudden we've won and I have to go do these things, but all I can think about is just, you know, going to the bar and celebrating with my friends kind of thing. So, uh, did, you, did you know he was going to do it then? Was it a surprise to you when it, it happened? It was uh, a surprise in terms of the day that it happened. We didn't, I didn't know that it was coming yesterday uh, on, on Friday. It, it was not something that they gave us a heads up on. But if you watched his uh, the president's speeches uh, about climate change and when he was asked to comment on the Keystone Pipeline over the last number of months and even over the last year or so, uh, it was pretty clear that he was uh, listening to us and hearing our concerns. And, and it, it sure seemed like he was moving towards a rejection. But we didn't. Uh, I woke up on, on Friday morning and uh, was, you know, checking my email. I'm on the West Coast. And so I'm three hours behind some folks on the East Coast. And all of a sudden, and I'm seeing these emails flurrying, saying the Wall Street Journal is, is uh, reporting that he's about to announce this. And then you get a notice about his statement from the White House coming up in an hour. And, and we were just uh, getting very excited. So a lot of the stuff with, uh, that's been going on with drilling in the Arctic, right? And with like shell pulling out of the tar sands and shell pulling out of yep. uh, drilling in the Arctic and a lot of that. And a lot, a lot of organizations have been keen to say, well, that's because of our environmental campaigns. But isn't it just as like to be because the oil price is so low and the economics of this thing don't work. And uh, Have you actually won it, I guess is my slightly mean question, or is something else going on? You know, I think I think that's a good question. It's an important question to ask. And, you know, with our campaigning work, it, there are a few times where you can literally say X equals Y in terms of us having an action and this is the result. But this is a case where it's very clear that our actions as an environmental movement, as concerned uh, Americans around the country pushing back, absolutely made the difference here. This pipeline was going to be rubber stamped if we had not raised concerns uh, even years ago. We looked at it. Environmental groups saw it as uh, a linchpin for um, you know development of the tar sands 
And we said, no, let's elevate this issue. Let's bring it under real public scrutiny. And let's actually make sure that everyone really understands what this pipeline's about. Had we not done that, had had groups like the Natural Resources Defense Council, my organization, Oil Change International, and the Sierra Club, and 350.org, and indigenous uh, First Nations in Canada not been raising the noise about this issue, uh, you know, it would have been approved years ago. Um, so our efforts to really make sure that everyone understood how bad this pipeline was, was vital to having it be uh, rejected. That said, of course, it was, yeah, possibly an easier decision to make today than it would have been when oil was at $100 a barrel and things are different. Uh, but, you know, you can't you can't ignore the impact that the environmental movement had, the climate justice movement, the the movement against the tar sands, against the Keystone XL pipeline had on this discussion, and it's absolutely a win for us. Uh, there's no question about it. Hey, so talk to me a wee bit about climate change in America and what it's what it's like because you get um, in the UK what I suspect is a kind of unfair portrayal of Americans as gun-toting, God-fearing, <laughs> science-denying um, lunatics who think that uh, evolution is made up and that climate change only exists to force us all into communism. But it doesn't sound like that's the case, right? I mean, is it that? It's, how it's does it work? Better. Describe it. <laughs> yeah. As someone who's been working on climate change for a while, it was sort of been, uh, it's been a long slog. Um, but we're feeling hopeful. Um, the president, you know, uh, after years of uh, taking less action than I would have liked to have seen him take, has really taken climate change on as an issue that uh, he cares about and is pushing on. And I think that's a indicative of the public's sort of uh, embrace of climate change as a problem and and it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, if you look at polling, which you know can go in a lot of different directions, but the polling all shows that Americans truly do believe that climate change is real and that needs to be addressed uh, if you ask them those questions. Um, you know, I live in San Francisco, California, and we're hopefully about to enter into a rainy period with El Nino and such, but we have been mm -hmm. grappling with the worst drought that you can ever, uh, that has basically been on the, the record books. And, you know, that sort of in my backyard understanding of the impacts of climate change is really, it's really having an effect on people's views, people's understanding and, and their, um, you know, demands for action. Um, so we think that the fossil fuel industry is on its heels in the United States. Um, they're putting up a fight, of course, but uh, the movement uh, for action on climate change is, is starting to really, really gain some momentum, uh, gain some force and power. And uh, it seems like uh, our elected officials are taking note and, and looking to move us in a new direction. Um, that's not to say that there aren't folks out there that, uh, you know, are still touting the climate denier lines. And, you know, we have some, uh, you know, absolutely... Uh, crazy folks in in our in our Congress that 
uh, still deny that the, the climate change even exists. You know, oh, hey, we've got you. You'll love this. We name a, a section of our show after Inhoff. We have Inhoff of the week. Um, so the guy, the guy who brings a snowball into Congress and says uh, into the Senate and says, "Hey, uh, you know, climate change isn't real because look, snow." Yeah, it's yeah, I and mean, it's crazy. And he is actually chair of the Environment Committee in the Senate, and that just <sighs> is just laughable if it weren't so sad. Um, so you know, we still have a we still have a fight ahead of us, but uh, we think momentum's on our side. And, and, uh, as people are looking around and seeing these climate impacts every day in our country, let alone in vulnerable countries around the world, uh, people are waking up for sure. America's now a global leader when it comes to taking serious action to fight climate change. And frankly, approving this project would have undercut that global leadership. And that's the biggest risk we face not acting. Today, we're continuing to lead by example. Because ultimately, if we're going to prevent large parts of this earth from becoming not only inhospitable, but uninhabitable in our lifetimes, we're going to have to keep some fossil fuels in the ground rather than burn them. So we, uh, all in particular, but but me, we love Barack Obama. And sometimes I think, um, you know, we call him a wonderful, hunky man and very beautiful and very clever. And isn't he doing wonderful stuff on climate? And in particular, because we compare his leadership on climate to the stuff and nonsense and horrible dicking around that our government's been doing for the last for the last three months. Um, Mm-hmm. Leadership is important. So are we right? Or have we just been seduced, as everyone has, by you know his, his big eyes and, and the <laughs> fact that he's saying the right thing at the right time? Or is he, is he genuinely being, doing the right thing on climate? What are the things he's not doing? You know, you know? He, he has come around, that's for sure. Um, I remember, uh, you know, in, in 2012 when he was running for his second term, he was talking a lot about increased oil production in the U.S. and the so-called all-of-the-above energy policy. And our view is that an all-of-the-above energy policy that includes increased fossil fuel production is simply denying the facts of what we need to do on climate change. You you can't increase fossil fuel production in the United States and be serious about climate change. Now, in the past couple of years, he hasn't been really pushing that as much. And he has been pushing things uh, in a positive direction on climate change. And so I'm willing to, you know, start giving him the benefit of the doubt. And I'll tell you what, his rejecting Keystone XL really pushes him into a leadership position. That said, we still subsidize fossil fuels in the United States to the tune of billions of dollars a year. Uh, those are public dollars going towards stuff that's making climate change worse. Uh, we think that we should see an end to that. He's called for, The president has called for an end to those subsidies for years upon years. Congress has not acted. They have to act because it's taxes, and that's who's responsible for that in our, in our government. But he could really put more pressure on to, to end those subsidies. He's doing what he can on the margins, but, but he could really pressure uh, the Congress to do more. Uh, another campaign that's, that's just starting to emerge that's really interesting also has to do with our public resources, and that's our public lands. You know, the government owns a ton of public land around the world, around the country, and there are there's a leasing program that sells those lands to fossil fuel companies so that they can dig up the fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas underneath them. We think that that leasing program should come to an end. And there's a growing coalition of groups that are going to be working to to see that 
be the case so that in the future, our public lands are not being basically sold. Leasing is a kind of, uh, you know, it's a confusing term for this. They're selling uh, the resources to the fossil fuel industry. Uh, and this is fossil fuels that we simply can't afford to burn if we want to have a safe climate. I was going to ask you about that. Made me think uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Alaska and the, what's the name of the governor up there? Um, the guy who's been talking about, we need to drill the oil in order to pay for climate damage. Oh, yeah. We, we, we talked about that and we we started having a go at him. And then we thought, no, you know what? You poor bastard. Like, what else is he supposed to do? Because he was saying, look, I'm not getting the money from anywhere else. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? So what do you think about about that is he are we right to feel sorry for him or what you know i mean yeah governor walker is his name and and he um it's just it's it's a baffling position to be honest i mean the idea that uh you're gonna dig up more oil that is causing a state like alaska which is as vulnerable as any state in the country if not any place in the world uh to the climate impacts the idea that you're going to pay for dealing with climate change by digging up more oil that's causing the problem is is just lunacy. It doesn't make sense. Um, Alaska has been dependent uh, to its detriment, I think, on oil revenues for years upon years. Uh, and, and that points to the need to really think carefully about how we transition away from, from oil and fossil fuels. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to take work for sure. And uh, states like Alaska and um, other states that have been dependent on these industries for, for revenues that feed their budget, um, you know, need to be supported absolutely uh, in order to make that transition. We're seeing that happen in North Dakota with uh, the oil boom sort of subsiding with the, um, the low oil price. North Dakota has been depending for the last few years on the massive increase in, in oil drilling in the state in order to feed its its budget and it, its state budget for public services and such, and it and it's now you know being cl- made clear that 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 was a mistake. Uh, they can't. We really shouldn't mm-hmm. be depending on on those sorts of revenues to to feed our budgets because oil prices are so volatile. You can't really predict what's going to happen next. And then furthermore, of course, we need to be moving away from oil if we're going to tackle climate change. One of the things that we've been noticing is, uh, you probably haven't noticed it yourself, but you've got an election coming up, right? Um, (laughs) I've heard something about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been getting a little bit of coverage over here. And it looks to us like what Americans have a choice between is a total lunatic and everyone else, right? Is Donald Trump actually going to win? Is that a thing that's going to happen? Is he even going to get the Republican nomination? <sighs> tell, tell me, isn't tell me, tell me. Come on, give us a reason to be I, cheerful. I, I, I really, really, I, my, my mind just isn't. It doesn't let me think that this. <laughs> it just, it just, it just won't let me say, oh yes, Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. I, I think, and you know, I, I'm not. A Republican, um, and so I can't, you know, speak for that party and and why it's doing what it's doing. But I think that there is a case that the folks that are talking about supporting Donald Trump are going to get to the polling booth and think twice and say, "Wait, hold on, maybe I should elect someone. Maybe I should vote for someone that actually knows what they're doing." I mean, Obama thinks it's the number one problem of the world today, and I think it's 
very low on the list. So I am not a believer, and I will, unless somebody can prove something to me, I believe there's weather. I believe there's change, and I believe it goes up, and it goes down, and it goes up again, and it changes depending on is it, years. Is, and is, it a, is it a right and left? Is, a the climate and the environment seems like a really right and left wing kind of issue in, in America. I mean, how many sort of really prominent right wing speakers do you have saying action on climate change is really important? Because is that, is that as stark as it looks? It, it, it has been. Um, there are a few members of Congress... Uh, you know, there are a few members of Congress that are coming around and are starting to talk about how the, the um, you know, conservative uh, end of the spectrum really needs to take this on. And I think they're doing it because they're seeing young people across the board uh, think that climate change is important because it's, you know, their future. Um, you know, I think it's been such a, a stark division for a long time because – of the influence of the oil industry and the fossil fuel industry. Um, you know, we as Oil Change International uh, have been looking at for years the influence of the fossil fuel industry on our politics. And when you look at the amount of, of campaign contributions and lobbying dollars that are spent, uh, it's massive. It's in the millions of dollars a year. And, you know, that sort of influence has been most acutely felt by Republicans. And uh, they are, you know, basically trying to court that support given our crazy uh, campaign finance, uh, you know, and election process. It, getting that money is is really important to them. And so they've they've been, you know, denying the science of climate change thanks to Exxon for uh, helping to lead that charge uh, despite their own uh, knowledge of climate uh, in their boardrooms. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the party has sort of followed suit. And I think, you know, thanks to a growing movement uh, in the, you know, the climate movement, I'm hopeful that politicians are starting to realize that they are on the losing side if they're not demanding action on climate change and if they're not taking action. Um, you know, the as I said, the young people in this country uh, absolutely are unanimous nearly in support for action on climate change. So uh, one question that's come in uh, from a listener, our friend John Matthews on Twitter, is about petrol or gas, as, mm-hmm. you, as you call it, which he pointed out is really, really, really cheap in America. And he wanted to know whether or not you think it needs to be more expensive and whether that's ever something you could <laughs> willingly propose. And that's it's a tough question, you know. Obviously, right now, our, uh, a lot of people are dependent on using their cars to get places like their jobs and to deal with, you know, all of their different uh, ways of being, you know, supporting their family. So, you know, obviously, we don't want to uh, have a problem. You know, we don't want to advocate for something that's really going to be problematic for you know normal people in America. But it's very clear that low oil prices, low gas prices in, in the U.S. does often lead to people buying more SUVs, more less fuel-efficient cars, and that's, problemat- that's problematic because we need to be moving in a different direction. Um, you know, our view is that the oil industry is subsidized at a ridiculous amount, uh, and they are raking in uh, record profits or have in, in recent years. And we should eliminate those subsidies first and foremost. Uh, we should not be subsidizing an industry that 
certainly doesn't need it. And secondly, is doing harm to the world. Um, once you do that, you know you need to also be looking at pricing uh, the pollution that that uh, gasoline and, and other fossil fuels produce, uh, and that includes a, a price on carbon, for instance. And uh, it's something that we definitely need to be pursuing, and we need to make sure that we're doing it in a way that doesn't harm, you know, regular Americans who who um, you know can't afford it, but. We should be focused on on making sure that the polluters themselves, the companies, uh, are paying the price. Prediction time. So we have a regular section on our podcast, which we can't do this week because Ol has got the flu. Um, and the, the the section is predictions. So each of us will take it in turns to make a prediction of something that they think is going to happen in the next week. Now, I won't get you to do the next week, but if I had to make you predict what is a, a big thing that's going to happen in American environmental politics in the next short while, what, what would you what would you like to do? What do you think the next big decision is going to be? You know, I think everyone's sort of asking that in the wake of the Keystone XL pipeline decision, you know, what's next for that movement? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it really was uh, foreshadowed by something that President Obama said in his announcement of the the rejection, which was, we need to keep fossil fuels in the ground. That's something that I don't think he's ever said before in the way that he said it. And it's something that... Uh, the entire in the entire Keystone XL movement, the entire climate movement is standing behind. If you look at the science, it says we need to keep the vast majority, some seventy-five or eighty percent of known fossil fuels in the ground, and that's what we're going to work towards. Uh, and I think you're going to see uh, pipelines be, um, you know, opposed left, right, and center. You're going to see pipelines be rejected because of that opposition. You're going to see new fossil fuel infrastructure, every single piece of new fossil fuel infrastructure, be really considered as to whether it is compatible with a safe climate future. And our view is that the vast majority of those projects uh, are not. And so we're hopeful that we can see another, uh, you know, we can see rejections like the, the rejection of the Keystone XL pipeline moving forward. David, thank you so much for giving up uh, a valuable half hour of your drinking time to come <laughs> and talk to me on Sustainable. Are you heading straight off out now to, uh, to drink away in success? Uh, you know, I think they're, they're going to be rolling celebrations for a while to come, but we're also uh, starting to think about what's next for sure. Great stuff. How, what's the best way for people to uh, follow what you do and keep up with you guys? Uh, so our website is priceofoil.org and our Twitter account is also at priceofoil. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Cheers, David. Great. Thank you. So that was Sustainable 30. Done. In the bag. Who needs all anyway? What's going to happen next week is I'm going to do it all by myself again. And I'm going to get Arabella and I get her to say the things that I want her to say. None of this messing around. None of this being a hippie. It's going to be like this forever. Oh, don't come back. Stay in your sick bed. We don't need you. Uh, no, do come back. Love you, really. Get well soon, Uncle Ollie.
Thank you very much, listener, for listening. You can get in touch with us uh, via Twitter at The Babble Wagon. Drop us an email at hello at sustainababble.fish or find us on Facebook. Just search for Sustainababble. Um, as always, if you like us, give us a review. Give us a star thingy. Let the world know because that really makes a difference. Thanks, as always, to the wonderful Dickie Moore for his music, which starts, ends and intertwinkles the podcast. And we will be back next week. And this time we'll have all... And stay tuned very, very soon for a special guest appearance by your favourite Babylese on one of the UK's biggest podcasts. Stand by your guns, it's going to be massive. Thanks very much, see you soon, bye! <laughs>